be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. Welcome to Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about Dante and more Dante. Yay. I'm <laughs> confused. And Jacob. <laughs> I'm giggly and Vic. I'm platonic. And Jamin. Excellent. <laughs> so I had a funny Dante moment the other day. I think yep. someone was hitting on me. <gasps> I often think that people are hitting on me. I'm confused. <laughs> I'm confused wow. by many things in my life and somebody uh-huh. egotistical. And he said, so what have you been doing this month? And I said, I've been reading Dante's Inferno. He said, what's that? <gasps> so uh, I, I walked away, dear reader. <laughs> so, so, okay, I have, so, I have some questions. So where was this? It was in virtual reality. Oh, okay, okay. Does this happen a lot? Is this where you you feel that people are hitting on you frequently? No, I just make that up. It makes okay. me feel better. <laughs> Did you know this person before? Or was this a new encounter? He had approached me before to tell me about his life in ways that I didn't particularly care about. Are you somebody to whom that happens frequently? A lot of people think of me as the daddy, and then they hit mm-hmm. on me. Okay. Okay. Or and then I tell myself they've hit on me. Gotcha. Mm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. People tell me I, complete strangers tell me stuff that they shouldn't be telling anybody. This is a thing that happens to me. Isn't that weird? It's very weird. I think I have instead of bitchy or what is it resting bitch face. I have. I think it has <laughs> resting therapist face. <laughs> yeah, I have resting. Come tell me all of your deepest secrets. Face. I feel like I've used that joke before, but it still stands. Well, did anybody bring anything to the party today? I brought chocolate cupcakes. Oh. Seriously? Delightful. Yeah. How much avocados in them? None. Something went wrong. <laughs> well, I, I used green frosting. Uh-huh. Okay. And on, and on each one, I wrote 6.022214099 to the 23rd. Okay. Because that's Avogadro's number. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is avocado stem humor. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. You're not expected to get that joke. Just have a chocolate cupcake. <laughs> Yay. I can manage that. Okay, so I brought a drink, but um, I've already packed my bags because I know that I'm going to get kicked out of this circle for the, the drink I'm about to, to share with you. Oh, it's a pun. Oh, it is not. Oh. <laughs> You're going to wish it was a pun. Oh, no. <laughs> it's much worse than a pun. So, have you ever heard of the sour toe cocktail? Is that the one where the toe bumps against your lip when you're drinking in that one bar? (laughs) How did you know? (laughs) I just figured it was the worst thing I could imagine drink-wise, and there it is. Yes. So, Jamin, you haven't heard of this, have you? Mm -mm. Okay. So, it's it's everything that Jacob described. It is the... But real. It it is the signature cocktail of a bar in Dawson City, uh, which is in the Yukon Territory in Canada. So the story goes, there was a, um, I think it was a gold miner, or no, he was some kind of, 
Yeah, a, a miner and a rum runner. He and his brothers were escaping from the the law. And the law. Oh god, the their law. pictures. Ah. Yes. Oh, their oh pictures. hang on, hang on. It- <laughs> and so he he's accidentally uh, he stuck his foot in some frozen water, and as a, like once they finally got to a place where they could kind of chill out for a while, so to speak, he realized that his foot was entirely frozen. So to prevent gangrene, he cut off his toe. And so cut to quite a while later, oh, and they put it in alcohol to preserve it. For those of you listening along at home, pause and go to Google Images right now. And <laughs> do it on your work computer. And so years later, in 1973, a guy named Captain Dick Stevenson found the jar uh, while he was cleaning a cabin. And of course, as you do, you take it to your neighborhood saloon, in this case, the sourdough saloon. And he started to put it in people's drinks to see if people were brave enough to drink the drink with the toe in it. So it now is a thing where you can join the Sour Toe Club, um, the Sour Toe Cocktail Club, by paying $5 to uh, have the toe put in a drink of your choice. The chef recommends just a, a shot of whiskey. And you have to drink the, the drink. And here's the, the little the rule. You can drink it fast, you can drink it slow, but the lips have got to touch the toe. Hmm. But the best part of this... <laughs> oh, it gets better! ...is that they've had to replace the toe many times because people keep swallowing it. So, usually it's an accident, but sometimes Whoa. it's on purpose. And Whoa. so they have replaced the toe uh, through various donations of toes uh, that have befallen, you know, hard times such as, you know, having to be uh, amputated due to diabetes, frostbite. <laughs> I'm going to hort. See, my, my question was, how has the original toe lasted so long? Even if it was preserved in alcohol, surely it would have mm-hmm. worn out. But no, there have been multiple toes. There have been multiple toes. A hork. The best one came with the note, don't wear open toe sandals while mowing the lawn. Oh, poor guy. So, yeah, and they've had to institute a fine because, like, you have to pay a fine if you swallow the toe. And they've had to raise that fine because, again, there have been people who have done it on purpose. It's worth it. Yeah, I was going to say, five bucks is cheap. It's very cheap. But the the fine is, like, 500. I think the fine is now up to 2,500. But they, uh, I think they now store it in salt. So it's also called a salty toe, I think. I'm not sure. But, yeah, so... Oh, so I guess it's now they're up to the tenth toe. I think it's it's Mach ten for this for this hour toe. I'm going to do something I rarely do and close this tab. <laughs> Ugh. I'm wondering for the show notes, should we just like create a you know an artist rendering rather than posting the because it's a very unattractive in the picture. show notes. Let's have a link, and on either side of it, arrow saying, "Please don't click this link." <laughs> I think I'll, I'll just maybe I'll use the, the 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 pub's logo or something like that instead. Well, that's that's the perfect drink to round out this fifth part of our three of our this fifth part of our three part series. Yeah, that, I, I messed up the joke. That's the perfect drink to round out the fifth part of our Dante trilogy. <laughs> I thought it was. Well, I thought it was with the the amount of being frozen in a bottomless pool of ice and the you know potential like there we're sort of. We're we're kiss we're we're just like touching the, on the lips of cannibalism in these uh, circles that we're exploring. No, we 
we we go we we go we go down the cannibalism bunny trail <laughs> where the cannibal bunnies are. Oh, oh. So, Jacob, what entertainment do we have tonight? Oh, being made to endure a swarm of thrashing, wailing cows. Oh. Wait, like Ahab and Ishmael? Do I was have, gonna say, like they're whalers. Like, do we have cows in <laughs> trench coats going? Dar she <laughs> They're whalers on the moon. The most abstruse interpretation of this is possible. <laughs> no, they're screaming. But we both went there. Two out of three people went Moby Dick. It's true. Mm-hmm. You're both very difficult. <laughs> he, he's not wrong. We think we've broken him. No, not yet. There's still time tonight. <laughs> it's true. So I'd like to take a little pause for an aside and say thank you to someone who's very special to us. And that is Elizabeth Andre, who is our first Patreon donor. Very exciting. Woo, yay! And yay. a really neat person besides. She's going to be beginning her own podcast soon, Hierophantastic, exploring awe, wonder, and the numinous. And because of the way Patreon works, I'll probably just give her back her $5, and then we're both supporting each other (laughs) (laughs) in an entirely closed ecosystem. But we're also going to send her a gift. We have a gift lined up to send her. That is the thought. One-of-a-kind gift. Is that she will get the first and nicest of the lovely picture, lovely, lovely? Lovely pictures that have been gracing the covers of my Dime Store edition of the Inferno. <laughs> You're selling it. They're original Jamin artworks as a response to Dante's Inferno. Yes. Done in pen... Green crayon. Cur- wax, wax pencil. Wax pencil. <laughs> crayon is a legitimate artistic medium, isn't it? It's true. A crayon is legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. If only we'd given him a mummy brown crayon, though. Oh, that's right. We can. He can embrown the purgatorio <laughs> when we get there. I should have embrowned the purgatorio. I think that's a T.S. Eliot line. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will definitely link to that podcast when it manifests. Mm-hmm. This is our final uh, walk with Dante and oh. Virgil. And so this is our final check-in regarding how we've been feeling, what our experiences have been like. And so yes. with this data, I will yes. create a chart um, that I will share with everybody to show what our progress has will, been during this, this past month. Will this help others in their journeys? Oh, yeah, I think it will. I think we'll open up some conversations about what it's like to really walk with Dante and Virgil. I feel like there's still a stigma attached to it. And I, I want to oh, yeah. I want to break down that those anti Danteism yeah. sentiment. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I feel like it, it, it can it can it can help start a conversation, a healing conversation. If you're currently reading Dante and you feel ashamed, it's OK. Right. We're here we are, you. too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. Okay, so you guys remember the scale, right? It goes up to 11. Yes, this time it goes up to 11. That's going to mess with your analytics. (laughs) 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 Analytics, shmamalytics. Five is all the time, and zero is at no time. Okay, so... Pause, pause before we begin. Isn't shmamalytics the name of your band? <laughs> it is now. It's a it's the perfect mashup of linguistics and sha na na. 
<laughs> well, you mean Shwanana. <laughs> Shwanana. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for the last time, since I've been reading the Inferno, my sleep has been undisturbed and restful. I, I've been feeling the cold winds blowing off of Lake Cockatus lately, and mm-hmm. so they've been less restful. Also, oh my, my husband snores, which does sound very much like the three, the six bat wings of Satan flapping continually. Yeah. Okay. A- and Judas screaming. <laughs> that weird little glottal whistle. <laughs> 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 okay, so would you put that as a... Let's say, I'd say three, conservatively. All right. What about you, Jamin? Well, well... With the cold winds blowing off of... Is it Cocytus or Cocytus? Well, hell if I know. You're the linguist. <laughs> With the cold winds blowing off of Lake Cocytus, I've been sleeping great. It's no longer hot at night. Restless. It's not muggy. I can breathe. Four. Solid four. Nice. Okay. Excellent. So, I have to say that I'm pretty close to like... Hmm, I'd say a, a two... Less than half the time because there's there's just been something gnawing like at the back of my neck, and, I, <laughs> and, and it's not I, the cat. <laughs> no, I I don't know what it is. Oh, so every morning, you know, there are no marks, but then the next night just starts gnawing all over again. This Gross. Is, this is problematic. I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. So. Uh, moving on. Since I've been reading the Inferno, uh, I have been able to participate fully and productively in my work and day-to-day activities. I feel like a four here. I I don't know why. I'm just feeling yeah. kind of uplifted at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I think okay. the journey the journey through the Bulge fills me with something resembling hope. <gasps> wow. Okay. Resembling right. hope, not actual hope. Right. Right. So a, a folk. The way Diet Dr. Walmart resembles Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Jamin? I'm going to stick middle of the road three on this one. Um, Okay. I I don't think I'm any better or any worse than I was yesterday. I'm waking up. I'm working. I'm going to bed. Okay. So you're in purgatory, essentially. Oh, my God. I'm in purgatory. Yeah. I can climb all the way back up to Purgatory. We're down here in like level nine. We haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes like three hours to get all the way to Purgatory from the middle of hell. Oh, That's yeah. true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. Uh, fully productively. Well, I mean, productively. Mm, um, mm, been thinking about you know upcoming break, and so you know, uh, eh, I'd say a three. Um, you know. Yeah, people do believe very distracting. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've got to, you know, get um, get all the rings polished, you know, start ironing the miters, steaming those miters. <laughs> <laughs> miters not going to steam itself. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants a soggy miter. Okay. Uh, since I've been reading the Inferno, I've been able to maintain satisfying relationships with others. I think that some of my relationships might be more satisfying having used the Inferno as a diviner of compatibility. Yes. I'll say oh, four. Like your like yes. the the recent person hitting on you. Yeah. If they don't mm-hmm. know about the Inferno, you know, you just walk on. So d- did you have a number for that? I'm sorry. His number? 
<laughs> no, eight four. six seven five three zero nine. A four. A four. A four. Okay. All right. So okay, and that's not what he was. It was a. That's no. Yeah. I I think one point eight. <laughs> All righty, uh, Jamin. So. I've been in a really good mood and thinking about others. So things like interacting. I actually did all my Christmas shopping this week. Whoa. And I got on Wish.com and I ordered like a dozen things that cost 25 cents each and then were $4 to ship, right? And so I got you some garbage and I got you some garbage and then I got, yeah, some more knockoff garbage. Joy, gentle friends. Yeah. And I just got an email literally an hour ago saying... Wish has canceled your entire order. <laughs> All 25 items cannot be shipped. Here's your refund. Is and that I'm like, because... And I'm just like, I don't even remember what they were. Like, I can't even go back and... I mean, I probably... But now I have to, like, find out what I was and reorder them from different sellers. Oh, so, dear. Like, even though I'm frustrated and you're not getting Christmas until April... Uh-huh, that's fine. Um, I thought about you and it's the thought that counts. It's true. And it was a... Okay, so is it because Wish.com somehow knew ahead of time that you would be dissing them on this podcast? Or Oh no, I was love Wish.com. Supply chain issues. I I don't know. It was it was really weird. Mm-hmm. And again, this is this is I love Wish.com. For like for Christmas last year, I bought Jacob the world's tiniest fidget spinner. It was pretty cute actually. Then my dog yeah. ate it. And then he promptly <laughs> lost it. Somebody swallowed it. <laughs> Somebody had, like, that was what it was meant to, that's where it's meant to be. Next time we go to 6th Street, let's just take a bag full of tiny fidget spinners and throw them in people's drinks. <laughs> and say their thumbs. <laughs> well, they've touched thumbs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, this is a, a four. This has been, despite the ultimate failure and ultimate frustration, I feel my heart was in the right place. Okay. Of spending as little as possible. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. You're right. I would say satisfying relationships. With it. I feel like we've made some new friends along the way. So I'd say probably like, uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say a four as well. I think, I think definitely. Okay. So since I've been reading The Inferno, I have found joy in social and recreational activities. <laughs> Do you want me to define those for you? <laughs> I just have no response. Okay. Okay. Would that be a zero? <laughs> the contos keep coming. So many contos. The contos keep coming. Too many contos. 4.1. Okay. 4.1. I drew in on so many pages of Jacob's book. It was great. I got my green crayon in my right hand and my other green crayon in my left hand. And I went, whoop-de-whoop, here's a cat. Whoop-de-whoop, here's a naked lady. Whoop-de-whoop, here's a pirate ship. Is that what that was? I wasn't (laughs) sure what was going on. It's just like six orbs held. I thought it was Azatoth. It was a naked... Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) I guess... You didn't get the joke. It was a, it was a chest joke. One, it was the one with the nostrils. Oh, <laughs> no, that wasn't a naked lady. That was just nostrils. Oh, okay. I feel slightly better now. Okay. Had, at at this point in time, I think of it as our copy of the Inferno. <laughs> it's I, I like sharing. It's you you share custody or you co-parent <laughs> that copy together. If you'd like to join us in co in custody, 
uh, subscribe on Patreon and we'll send you a page. Exactly. Everybody can have a everybody can have a piece of uh, y'all's relationship. Well, well, not not everybody. <laughs> only only the first two hundred and thirty nine. <laughs> <laughs> so get it now, uh, Jacob. You didn't. Did you give me a number? You didn't give me a number. Um, three. Three. Okay. So here's the thing. So the past week, I've watched. Two full movies of the Inferno. <gasps> oh no! <laughs> and I watched part of the animated pu- the puppets one with Burke oh, and yay. Meredith. I, I haven't watched the whole thing, but I've watched parts of it. So the first movie I watched in full was the one based on the video game. Oh, I'm so, <laughs> no! It's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> it is. She's going so to say bad. bad. <laughs> yeah. But I have I have words. I have words to say about it. N- most notably, uh there are so many boobs. Yes. So many boobs. Yes. Way more boobs than I feel are probably in, in the original. In the spirit of equity and gender parity and such, in mm-hmm. the fight scene in Lust in the video game, there's what must be a 500-foot tall purple phallus. Yes, they that makes there's something akin to that in the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And different parts of the movie have different illustrators, so at first it's jarring. Yeah. I forgot uh-huh. that. Just, yeah. But it, but then it's kind of like, oh, okay, this is actually kind of cool. Then you get over but that. But I also <laughs> But I also would say that some things that I found interesting about it, why does he fight the unbaptized babies? Does he? Yes, in the movie, he fights the unbaptized babies. They attack him. Awesome. They have knife hands. That tracks. <laughs> because, I mean, and I don't know, did you ever watch Aqua Teen Hunger Force? Yes. Do you yes. remember Happy Time Harry? No. Okay. They're very similar to Happy Time Harry. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, and finally, there's an interesting backstory with the Crusades and his daddy issues. They made him a lot more warlike than I normally think of Dante as being. Yes, yes. And I feel like for such a violent movie, it has a distinct anti-war message. Does it? I don't know. Well, I mean... <laughs> kind of. By the end, I was telling myself that just to like, okay, there there was a reason for me to watch this. There was a point to this. But this, my, my palate was cleansed by the very first film of the Inferno, made in 1911, the silent movie version. It's very pretty. Fantastic. <laughs> it's fan-freaking-tastic. Everybody needs to watch it. Footage of that is adapted into the 1935 version, which is more like the Carnival Barker story. Best thing about that is it's got a really cute dancing Satan. I need to watch that because I really, really enjoy the 1911 one, mostly because of the effects and the costuming. And... It just has this like sense of playfulness about it that is very, very appealing, while also being very, very creepy and weird. Uh, the second one has that sort of exploitation film. It feels a little like Reaper Madness or something like that. It's kind of got this this. Did dark... we talk about that? We've talked about this one before, the sideshow hell. Yeah, yeah, we have. I feel like this could be a subject on its own. Yes, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe next November. Woo! Okay. <laughs> uh, the different film adaptations of The Inferno. Yes. 
Okay, so I would give myself a five because I really uh, enjoyed these uh, cinematic forays into the Inferno. And a side note, I also started looking at children's versions Wait, of the Inferno. There are? There are children's versions of the Inferno. Yes. Yes, there oh. are. Oh, my. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. no, I didn't know that. I'm so excited. Yep. The little golden Inferno. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, kids like poop jokes, so... No, um, this is true. So I, I would say a five. Like, I actually really, really enjoyed this. So, um, Yay. so we're down to the final question. This is a very important one. Since I've been reading The Inferno, I have known which way is up even whilst climbing Satan's rump. Hard one. Yeah. It's hard You one. really need to orient yourself before climbing Satan's rump. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd say it too. I, I, I don't know mm-hmm. how to approach okay. this. No, I'm I'm going to say a one. Uh, just today, I was I was delivering an inner office like report, and I was like, "Where does Jennifer sit?" And they said, "Oh, just north of the printers." And I'm like, "So I just went to the printers and I handed stuff out here. Let's say it might be for you. Get that done by get that done by four. Is, <laughs> is the printer above Satan's rump in your office? The printer is actually always. <laughs> <laughs> the printer is actually just south of Jennifer's cube. <laughs> so I had a vision. Of Satan's enormous haunches, which do appear frequently in art, just cascading forth this endless series of like spreadsheet printouts forever. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 somebody every like hundred pages having to go and unblock it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yes. Hey, the rump's out of toner. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I still don't know. I'm still so very, very confused about Satan's rump and which way is up and which way is down. And are we inside? Are we outside? Yeah. Are we exiting? We'll we'll have to resolve that when we get to Canto 34. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shall we start on Canto 29? I guess so. Okay. So I'm sorry. We had Jamin. What was your score? Was it one? Mine is a zero. All right. Thanks guys. I'm going to make our, our, our chart here and share that with everybody. Canto 29, the falsifiers. You're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> well, wrong or right. So what we know about this this particular bulge, it stinks a lot. Dante comes, looks at it, says something, something. Um, no, wait. No, I'll rewind that. Um, I think they say that like the, the animals and things would die in this kind of stench. It compares to like, plagues. And I'm really weak. I think I've heard some of the horrible plagues that were going around in the 1300s. Mm-hmm. In this bulge, in this malbulge, people are endlessly scratching. Their sins kind of manifest as physical diseases. And I feel that this was possibly, for me, the most gratuitous of all of the contos so far. Like, the, the physicality of the scratching and the scratching is, is, is really ceaseless. And it's ceaseless in the text as well, to, to good effect. But uh, I, I had to put this canto down once or twice. The one saving grace to this canto is it's the foodie canto, uh, because we talk about, um, (laughs) yes, this is, this should be your favorite canto because there's the comment about, uh, Nicolo di Salimberi and his extravagance, um, specifically the costly uses of the clove. So cloves were, as you may imagine, like incredibly expensive. And he would just like cook everything in cloves, even using them 
oh. to as as kind of the seasoning on meats, but also what he would burn in embers to roast meats. Oh, that's a lot of. That's bit. a whole lot of cloves. Lot I of love cloves, cloves but There's that's a bit much. Yeah, that's uh-huh. that's like buying a pack of like pork flavored jarums and hanging out behind the gym, your high school gym, on a Thursday. <laughs> Smoking, what did you say? Pork sm- flavored germs? Smoking pork flavored jarums. Okay. Jarums. <laughs> oh my god, clove cigarettes. Does anybody still smoke cloves? Uh, the cool high schoolers. Do they still? Like, that was such a thing. It like, was. No, they, and they're, they're so bad for you. <laughs> they're no longer on the. Yeah, you caramelize your lungs. They took them off the market. It's very sad. Oh, dang. Yeah. Oh, fond memories. Oh, goth, goth memories. Don't smoke, kids. It's bad for you. But damn, it makes you look cool. <laughs> Especially when it's close. Because they smell good, too. But oh, They smell cow. great. Oh. Mm-hmm. So the general theme seems to be corruption of the senses, corruption of the body, corruption of the soul, kind of all rolled together at once. So it's very tactile, Kanto, as well. Mm-hmm. And all this corruption makes its stench because it's corrupt. I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the other eight circles of hell weren't corrupt. There's they a, smelled great. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of bits here which took some very famous people down a very long road to nowhere, and that is that we can use this canto to establish the size of hell. Oh, with other peripheral measurements. I think the line is right at the beginning of twenty nine. Dante's staring at the wasteland, and Virgil says, oh, what's with you? You didn't pay attention to this during the other 22 miles of the valley. So from there, a very famous young mathematician by the name of Galileo Galilei. Oh, that guy. Yes, that guy. Established, with with a huge margin of error, the size of hell. Because the diameter of the eighth bulge is seven miles. So logically, assuming kind of an ice cream cone shape, the first bulge is 35 miles. By illogical extension, the first circle of hell has a radius of about 735 miles. Hmm. A lot of these guesstimations were made based on one flawed idea, which is that Galileo estimated the thickness of hell's roof as 600 kilometers, forgetting the law that you have to make things more sturdy as they get bigger. But, um. but by the time he found that out, he was a lecturer in math. <laughs> the Florentine Academy, so he just kept going. It's you know. too late to go back. Yeah. If you want to look these up, there's a translation of them. It's called Two Lectures to the Florentine Academy on the Shape, Location, and Size of Dante's Inferno by Galileo Galilei, 1588. I was wondering, reading that article, I didn't quite understand the whole thing about the weight. I mean, I, I understand it now as a principle that it, you know, like all of our architecture takes that into consideration. So thank you for explaining that. Yeah. But I also kind of got stuck on the whole idea of hell as an ice cream cone. And so I started thinking about, of, like, especially if it were a um, drumstick, and then Satan is that delicious little bit of chocolate down in the very, very tippy tip. <laughs> that is the best part. <gasps> oh, it's so good. Satan is a little under a mile tall, guessing, because mm-hmm. the unit of measurement they're using is like the brachia, which is between 18 and 22 inches, and he's 4,000 of them or so. Oh, wow. There's some differences of opinion involved in this. Also, time is established here as Virgil observes that the moon is now underneath our feet. Henceforth, the time allotted to us is brief, and more is to be seen than what thou hast seen. So this makes it a 24-hour journey, and the day is halfway over, and we haven't even gotten through this ridiculously wide circle. 
Right, because it's not, the Earth is still flat. No, it's like have two cones uh-huh. and put their chocolatey wonderful oh, okay. tips together mm-hmm. and then fit all that into a sphere. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it is a sphere. It is. Two ice sphere. cream cones? I know, end to end. So Satan falls from the prima mobile layer of heaven and mm-hmm. smashes into somewhere around Australia or so, bearing in mind there was no Australia at the time, and mm-hmm. embeds itself in the middle of the earth. And the explosions create the Mount of Purgatory and chasms of hell and such. As I kind of imagine Satan as sort of like Winnie the Pooh stuck in the honey tree. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's okay. quite it. That's quite it. Uh-huh. I'm also imagining him doing that laughter that, that Goofy does when he falls. <laughs> Especially as uh, poets are climbing on his rump. <laughs> yes. I think this canto has one of the saddest uses of the multipass, because Virgil uses it to kind of disperse the sinners so that we don't have to deal with them anymore, which just seems really kind of a waste of the good multipass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, gu- and the guide said, one am I who descends down this living down with this living man from cliff to cliff, and I intend to show hell unto him. Then broken with their mutual support and trembling, each other turned to himself to me with others who had heard him by rebound. Uh, what? I think I garbled that one a little bit. <laughs> I don't think you garbled it. It became pre-garbled. I made it worse. What stanza? Is that what are the lines? Oh, I think it's, I think I'm in the wrong canto. So that is in canto 30. I think it's 29, because what I've got is, I am a shade, my guide and master said, who leads this living man from pit to pit to show him That's hell it. as I have been commanded. Okay. Yeah. The sinners broke apart as he replied and turned convulsively to look at me as others did who overheard my guide. Uh, Canto 30, Identity Theft. <laughs> this one had an awful lot of biography in it, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that really keeps the spirit of fun and, convivi- fun and conviviality that we stick with here. The only thing, my only note on Canto 30 is drink. It's because of Virgil saying to Dante, I was still standing fixed upon those two when the master said to me, now keep on looking a little longer and I'll quarrel with you. Is that a yeah. threat or a, like a reward? No, it's, I, it's, think it's, I think it's a threat. Yeah, mm-hmm. voyeurism is not redemption. And Dante is really kind of getting into it, mm-hmm. uh, into the staring at these people. It's worse later on. Like he's a... a this this comes up again in two two cantos, but kind of he's starting to get really kind of emotionally involved in the uh, uh, oh the word there's a word there's a word I want to name a cat after this he really Garfield? gets no Heathcliff no he gets involved in the in the abominable fancy of the moment of like relishing the torments and it starts here it gets a little stronger in two cantos and Diane Schadenfreude yeah that but like with more justice. It's like that weird, and I, I know there's a name for this because it comes up all the time. It's the name and, of Jacob's um, cat. Abominable fancy. <laughs> oh, it's so fluffy. It is. Um, but that famous experiment where they gave people control over an le- electroshock machine, yeah. and they were told to shock other people in another room, and the people doing the test kept encouraging the people doing the shocks to administer higher and higher shocks. And they were doing it because it just like they sort of got into the kind of like control aspect of it, even though they could hear the people screaming. Yeah, give them a bit more. Come on, give them. Yeah, d- d- it was. It, it's very push disturbing. the button. Only a few people refused to do it, 
but I feel like this is kind of like human nature has always been this way. Yeah. And we're just waiting for permission. And it's really actually very hard for us not to be jerks. No, you're right. You're right. I'm, it's very easy to be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when, when you're told that that's righteous. I mean, look at the Christian right today. <laughs> Maybe we should take that out. But um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel not, like... Not with our audience. We're fine. <laughs> that's true. That's right. I mean, yeah. We, we <laughs> I think everybody would be in agreement on that. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots of insanity here in this canto. People mm-hmm. running around like rabid beasts. Very, very slothful characters that just can't seem to will themselves to move at all. This The mental illness level in this one is, I think, one of the highest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go back a step. When we have Dante is progressively getting more and more enamored of the bits. Is this Dante the author or Dante the character? Well, since mm-hmm. Virgil chides him, it almost has to be Dante the character. Well, I guess Dante could be kind of saying at the same time, this is something that we know that we're going to look at and relish the sensationalism of but we shouldn't and so then he can kind of have it both ways Hmm. as the narrator and as the character just an aside it's the milgram experiment the electroshock experiment googling that now Mm -hmm. name of my next band (laughs) that'd be a great band it's a craft work cover band milgram experiment (laughs) such i became not having power to speak for to excuse myself i wished and still Excused myself and did not think I did. Lest shame doth wash away a greater fault, the master said, than this of thine has been. Therefore thyself disburden of all sadness, and make account that I am I beside thee. If ere it comes to pass that fortune bring thee where these people were to like dispute, for a base wish it is to wish to hear it. Hmm. It is convenient to be both the main character and the narrator. It really is, isn't it? And also writing the world's greatest poem. <laughs> And then Jamin agreed. In verse. <laughs> Canto 31, Dante's biggest fans. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. There is in the distance the blast of a horn, but we ignore that for a while. Oh. Looming, looming towers in the distance turn out to be looming giants. Mm-hmm. Standing on the bottommost circle of hell, one of them is Nimrod, who gabbles a bit because he was involved in the whole Tower of Babel thing. And the other one, with some encouragement by Virgil, gives them a ride down to the next level of hell. It's a very kind of gentle scene, actually. That's kind of sweet, really. I mean, that's like one of the few moments where there's, apart from Virgil and Dante's love affair, where there's actual tenderness, I suppose. Yeah, it's a nice moment. It feels kind of mm-hmm. Disney-ish, like the big hand kind of cradling them and lowering them down. Mm-hmm. Robert Hollander, I was reading his commentaries on the really neat Dante Lab website, and he talks a lot about how Nimrod seems to play into the story of Roland, in the Horn of Roland. Do you know that one? Everyone knows that one. Oh, vaguely, but why don't you give us a refresher? Okay, so the Song of Roland, I, I don't know it by heart. It's been a few weeks. But this warrior has this horn that he can blow to call his allies from afar. And he's betrayed by someone who betrays him and doesn't blow the horn in time. And he blows it so hard that his temples burst. And eventually, his allies come and they wipe out the people they're attacking, and there's a big bloodbath. It's sort of a story of tragedy, betrayal, and horns. Ouch! Ouch! Did like, I just not mm-hmm. do it justice? Might no, like, you, you played the trumpet so good that your forehead exploded. Have you ever tried to blow your nose in Austin in the late fall? Yes. It's like that. Mm-hmm. Like right now. 
right now, yes. <laughs> so Nimrod's horn is kind of parallel to this Horn of Roland idea. And once again, this kind of suggests that Dante and Virgil are invaders. And Antaeus will end up betraying his lord by helping Dante and Virgil go down to Satan's stronghold. Mm-hmm. At least that's, that's Hollander's suggestion. One of the things that, I, again, I don't mean to keep ragging on this translation because I hear like I've seen several people say it's one of the best ones, but the, the translator goes into this whole thing about Dante's genius in his kind of synesthesia of like the horn drew my eyes down the road. And I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's just, he heard a horn and turned and looked towards the towers, towers. that turn out to be giants. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. I'm not seeing this, that synesthesia angle, but it's a, it's a very dark and brooding scene, and that kind of captures, I think, a, a really strong visual and auditory moment. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you he, do have... If he had said the horn was embrowned, I could see a little bit of synesthesia, but... That was at the end of Che Canto 21. <laughs> That's right. So, so, uh, so Loa Toot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this was so big a, a blow... Horn. An interesting thing about this canto, and I think the neighboring one, you know, after some kind of crazy scenes and some very dark scenes, and we're going into a lot of biography and some heavy imagery, and ultimately Lucifer, we take an entire canto out just to transition between scenes. Like this entire moment is just like a bridge between the eighth circle and the ninth circle, and it's it's it slows things down for a, a long moment. I was wondering about that. You just explained something to me. Because I was wondering, like, okay. Why the pace change? Yeah. Mm. Well, it's, uh-huh. I mean, we're about to go into the center of hell. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe it's important to stop and kind of catch your breath. Tie your sit, shoes. Take mm-hmm. a giant ride. Because uh-huh. it's going to get worse. And it's been pretty bad. I mean, some of the recent contos have like made me, as a modern reader, Seriously uncomfortable. But you gotta, like, you know, roll to get back some hit points. Yeah, short rest, move mm-hmm. on. Maybe long rest, too. I don't know. So, Nimrod, does him being a giant kind of reflect his hubris in building the tower? I think he's large, and he's a great hunter. Mm-hmm. But, like, his story is the Tower of Babel, and it's, like, a very large story, but I don't know if that necessarily makes him a giant. He, maybe he was depicted as a giant at some point in time. There was another one whose story is like going up Mount Olympus to kick Jupiter off. And mm-hmm. again, I don't know if that makes him a giant necessarily, but their stories are very large. Yeah, that's what I wondered, like, does is this kind of one of those sort of ironic situations where their hubris, like they are, their punishment is to be like as large as their hubris. I can buy that. Because there's no other reason for him to be that big, you know? And... He did the whole aspect of, okay, so was it, was it God who, <laughs> I don't know who actually made all of his workers start speaking different languages so that they could not communicate and finish the tower. That would have been Neil Stevenson. Neil Stevenson? Yeah. Okay. Well, so well actually, Neil St- Juanita from Neil Stevenson. It was Juanita who invoked the Namshev of Nimrod. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, Juanita, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when Juanita, you know, I... Because that has made Nimrod be represent like idiocy, right? 
So that again is kind of this ironic. Because mm. he's here, he's, he's kind of like Virgil's calling him essentially like, you know, an idiot. Unintelligible well, isn't the same as dumb. Mm-mm. But, I th- but Virgil's calling him dumb. Well, Virgil's kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah. he is. We've established that. Yeah. Okay. It was definitely the Lord that, that confused the languages. So, okay. one, Nimrod, I'm actually glad you brought this up because I just Googled this like four minutes ago. So I'm going to pretend like I knew this all along. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I believe. Nimrod's not actually in the biblical story of Babel. It's extra biblical. So therefore, yeah, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's canon. So in Dante, Nimrod says, Raphael mai ameche zabi alami. To represent the, the gibberish, right? And for centuries, everyone's like, okay, this is like the, the pape alepe pape thing, right? From yeah, before. Yeah, it makes, makes sense. Corrupted right. in the base language. However, modern historians consider Nimrod speaking Old Hungarian, which is basically, specifically, makes good sense in Old Hungarian. And roughly translated, it's, it's a jail that forces you to stay here. <gasps> and then there's some I, evidence what? that... Right. There's some evidence that some of this, the bit players in this circle were Hungarian. Wow. Um, Dante was aware of the Hungarian royal circle. And so may have had some knowledge of Old Hungarian, but because he couldn't write Old Hungarian, he did the best he could. Interesting. I saw something about It's a jail that forces you to stay here, but you can't understand me. Because I'm speaking in gibberish. That's that's kind of beautiful if it's true. Mm-hmm. Why would it not be true? It's the first result on Google when I clicked it. Well, and it's in Wikipedia, too. Mm. I found this kind of interesting about Nimrod. Also, that there's a book called The Two Babylons. It was published in 1853 by the Christian minister Alexander Hislop. And he uh, depicts Nimrod as both the son and the consort of the whore of Babylon. And he attributes the image of polytheism and goddess worship to Nimrod and his mom slash wife. That sounds like a, a Greek add-on. <laughs> well, this was, in the, this was in the 19th century, but this dude also believes that they uh, propagated the pagan religion of ancient Babylon this has been roundly, you know, people have, have uh, discredited this book, except for evangelical Protestants. Because this guy also claimed that. Yeah, yeah. Who is There's a also true something about enemy. Catholicism. Yeah, who's the true mm-hmm. enemy to all us upright good Christians? It's those Babylonian whores. Ugh. <laughs> but he also claims that Catholicism is, it's, the Catholic Church was a millennial old secret conspiracy. And also, it is uh, the creation of Nimrod and the Whore of Babylon. Well, I mean, the Catholic Church is a secret conspiracy. Well, we all know yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're Catholic and you're listening, I didn't say that. <laughs> and we don't mean it. It's true. That we don't mean it. <laughs> I wonder if in the Vatican's Z collection, they have a really good commentary on some of these contos. Oh, undoubtedly. The, like the book of the forbidden books. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I, I'm having these thoughts as I think them, which is seldom, normal. But yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a jail that forces you to stay here. Wait, is that, how is that different from any other jail? Some jails are meant to redeem. 
Yeah, I guess does this go into the whole thing about whether or not uh, the sinners have are responsible for being there themselves? Like they have placed themselves there? No, it's jail. You can't get out. There's bars and guards. You like. Well, that's the difference between purgatory and hell. Is hell is a jail that you can't escape from. There is no escape. Purgatory is a redemption path. And actually, uh, Brian Brasio touched on this in his talk last week, saying that everybody's kind of brought to their point in this spectrum of hell to purgatory based on the moral weight of their souls. Mm, So mm -hmm. it's sort of predestiny and sort of not. If your sins of pride are so heavy that you are brought to this point, then this is where naturally you would stay. So you could... Had you been a person that could choose to be better, you could have chosen to be better. Better. Mm-hmm. It's not quite that's a, predestiny, but it's very close. That's a deep answer to my stupid question, and now I feel like I didn't try hard enough in fourth grade. I feel like that could be another name for this podcast is Deep Answers to Stupid Questions. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you're reading Inferno in the fourth grade. <laughs> wow. So this calls to mind an important question. So Hotel California, is it? Hell, or is it purgatory? Well, if you can't escape, it would be hell. But you can check out any time you like. Well, maybe it's both. Is it pot, or is it cocaine? <laughs> I think it's I think it's heavily in the cocaine camp. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in Kanto 32, it's quite cold. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Kanto 32. Because it's full of snow. <laughs> Oh, she made a snow joke. (laughs) Oh, dang. I walked into that. Um, We are in Cana, which is the place where traitors to the family are punished forever. Mm -hmm. A mysterious voice that is never identified tells Dante not to step on the sinners. And what does he do next? He immediately steps on a sinner. Ow. Damn it, Dante. And, you know, I bet when he did that, Virgil, like, brought him a sash and a bouquet or something like that. There he is. (laughs) Mr. Oligari. (laughs) There's <laughs> a really ugly scene here where Dante just goes completely slap fight on Boca Degliabadi and just oh, no. and he threatens to write a very harsh blog entry about him. Dante <laughs> is so proud of his blog right now. And there's kind of reasons for it because in the other circles, the sinners were kind of proud and wanted the to be memorialized in art. But here the shame is so great that maybe they don't want to be immortalized and maybe it's better just to lay quiet in the ice and freeze Mm -hmm. forever because it's that bad you don't want to be remembered when you've done that bad a thing so they're really hiding their names from dante at this point too yeah it gets he he's like i'm gonna pull the hair out of your head and he's like yeah go ahead i won't give in (laughs) yeah it's not getting better just worse leave me alone just leave me alone so this is this we're still in 32 right yeah we haven't skipped out of it yet that's the treacherous to kin Right. And country. Mm -hmm. This journey has very little to mark the different circles. The only thing that kind of differentiates them is the posture of the frozen people in the lake. So, like, these people, their heads are kind of poking out, and you can step on them by accident. And the next one, they're looking upwards, and their eyes are filled with little lakes of ice on their own. Mm -hmm. And then in the very deepest part, they're just buried under the the crust of the ice, and you can't see them. You can't can't touch them or interact with them at all. Forever frozen. And maybe I'm skipping ahead, but explain to me treachery to guests and hosts. Have you seen Game of Thrones? 
<laughs> no, I'm the one person in the world who has not watched Game of Thrones. Uh, that makes two no. of us. There's, there's, that makes two. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so there's this great scene. I'm going to spoil it for you. Where Snake having, kills Dumbledore. Yes. No, they're having the wedding party, and everybody gets murdered, and a lot of them are characters you really liked. Okay, I've, I've heard about this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's just kind of treachery to the people that believed you to be their host, believed you to be their guest, betraying the like promise of bread. I mean, even like Lord and Lady, those two things come down to like bread and bread sharing, They're the root words of them. So mm-hmm. like betraying, betraying the person that trusted you as their host is a huge, a huge bit of treachery. It's worse than betraying family or country, interestingly enough. I guess because it's leading up to Satan's betrayal, right? Yeah, and there's always kind of this layer of, like, is it a purely moral sin? Is it a physical sin? Is mm-hmm. it a sin of rage? Maybe that's part of it as well. I mean, they're all treachery, but perhaps the sin of just... Premeditated. I mean, how often How often have we wanted to kill members of our own family? Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like, it's, a da- it's a daily thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I know I can, this this is not on the same caliber as Game of Thrones, but y'all have y'all have seen Troll Two, right? Yes. It was so quite what good. is the whole thing about you can't piss on hospitality? Right, right. <laughs> this that. is exactly yes. that circle. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Also, really surprisingly good movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dear listeners, as a brief aside, when Victoria asked if I'd seen Troll Two, and I said yes, it was surprisingly good. I thought she was asking if we had seen Trolls 2. Trolls 2 is a very different movie, and Troll 2 is not surprisingly good. Anyway. Betrayal of Party. It was interesting how profound a sin that was. Maybe that's part of Dante's personal story of betrayal and exile manifesting itself. Uh, but betrayal, it be. betrayal of nation, betrayal, betrayal of political party. I mean, that's kind of like on a daily basis where we live now. Oh, political party. Because... Dante was big stuff, and then he got exiled. Yeah. This is near and dear to him as a, as a sin, as a form of betrayal. Mm-hmm. I don't know his full story. I wonder, I wonder if he committed that himself, but I'm not going to go there because I don't know. So he wrote a poem about his feelings. <laughs> the best poem in the world. <laughs> so in the subject of like vast empty silences and desolation... Mm-hmm. We have the transition scene before, which is basically just like one chapter devoted to a single moment of moving between zones. And this one, Virgil is quiet. And that's very strange. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has more to say a little bit later on, but just like kind of maybe there's more of this like crunch of ice and Dante alone with the sinners kicking them repeatedly, pulling their hairs. Yeah, like, okay, also, why... Didn't he help that one guy who asked, you know, said, like, could you just let me cry for a little bit? If I tell you my story, would you just let me cry a little bit? Because relieving the pains of the damned is basically saying you disagree with God. It's, I mean, come on. Man. I know, I know. I, I'm upset oh, that it you hurts. had an answer to that. We, we, it's the same answer I had last time we asked the question. Mm-hmm. And it's the answer Virgil has for all of you. If you just listen to Virgil. <laughs> Wait, who? That guy. Oh, yeah, you know. And I, I, I mean, I, I, I said this before. I don't think this is about hardening Dante's heart. He does, he does have to recognize over the course of his journey that sympathy for the damned is not 
helpful <laughs> to anyone, including himself. But it's it he has to maintain distance and not be involved and understand that there's a reason for where they are. And perhaps, since none of us have read Purgatorio, and I don't personally, mm-hmm. I've never directly met anybody that has, um, <laughs> it may be that that this is an acknowledgement of kind of the grace that you need to move forward in that world, where you can cleanse yourself of sins, where you can move upwards. Okay. Mm, hmm. So here's a question, and I I should know this, but I don't. But um, did Dante himself actually was he involved in the Crusades? I don't think so. He's a poet type person. Yeah, and, and like a civil servant. What about the poet's like Crusades? Just after was- the children's Crusades. <laughs> That was a sad, whiny crusade there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, nobody really. <laughs> they didn't make it very far. No, no. they didn't. No, but. But no, I was just curious because it. so much of this, I mean, you know, like the, I don't know, the, I just, I kind of wonder if he had been in the crusades, this would kind of make more sense to me. Maybe it's just that I watched that dumb movie um, of the video game. It was a very dumb movie. It was a very what, dumb movie. I mean, I, I mean, given the news cycle was slightly slower at the time, the crusades had been going on for about 300 years. They had, mm-hmm. they were probably still echoing like within, within people's recent lifetimes. They were still wrapping up in the early 1300s. If I'm remembering my history correctly, and I'm certainly not. So this was current events a lot of bloodshed still ongoing. So there's crusading is in the air, but he himself was not a soldier. Like he was not an actual crusader. Right. I would imagine that it would be hard to live as close to politics, as close to the church as he did and not be kind of pulled by the tides of this. I mean, Mm -hmm. just think of recent political events here and how, Mm. How they've destroyed families and then rewind seven hundred years. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it was just because it does sort of some of it does kind of read like a post-war, you know, a PTSD fever dream. Yeah, I, I think I feel like that's that's kind of fair. This that the Crusades were current events. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the 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 shared trauma that of being in this in in these Crusades for centuries has uh you know inflicted upon yeah. italy what? and other parts of europe and the scene in jerusalem the scene where he really kind of tears into muhammad and ali is kind of tied to that too because mm-hmm. islam was one of the main forces that the crusades were allegedly fighting against mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. before we move to canto 33 mm-hmm. uh let me pull out my copy of sando burke oh sure yeah um, this this <clears throat> is where Jacob says, whose copy of Sandober? No. Oh, yeah. So just uh, to, to, okay, so the whole deal about the demons on Earth, like people. That's 33. Who, yeah. Like, that's fascinating to me. We haven't gotten there yet. Oh. Okay. So I'm not allowed to talk about it are yet. We, Sorry. Are we about to end 33 or no? I thought, no, we haven't gotten to 33 Are yet. we about to end 32? I think so. Okay. Sandober. Okay. He's done plucking the guy's hair, and he says, I had enough of him. And Virgin and I went on until we saw two sinners who were trapped together, freezing in the same hole. They were so close, the back of one guy's head was right in the other guy's face. 
And like an ex-vegetarian digging into a rare cheeseburger, the guy behind him was chomping on the neck of his grotesque partner, smacking his lips. It's one of the main cover images for the movie, that, that chewing sequence. <laughs> like an ex-vegetarian digging into a rare cheeseburger. That's, that is priceless. <laughs> um, nom, nom. <laughs> Thank you, Sandoberg. Kanto 33? Yay! Yes. We get to see who's so- gnawing who. Kanto and, and 33, The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And this is also kind of one for the foodies as well. Have they experienced your toe drink story like i was less enthused about this but i mean i i was more enthused before no okay so okay i have several questions one involves the demons right i guess so that's the walking dead is that what you're referencing jacob the the dead who are their bodies are still on earth inhabited by demons and their souls okay yes they sinned so hard that their souls Mm -hmm. got ejected and taken to hell immediately Right. Mm-hmm. Wow, new life Which, goals. I know, right? I do feel underambitious at this point. <laughs> and so in, in the Burke uh, and Meredith version, is it Dick Cheney who is the... What? They, I think it's some political figure who they have as the person who is... But when they made the movie, it was something relevant to that time period. And so I want to say it was Dick Cheney. But it could be somebody else. But I thought that was genius. An interesting, like, layered story amidst, amidst The Walking Dead of who's the main, the main sinner in this one. Ugolino? The one who, it's unclear whether or not he ate his kids. Right. Is it Ugolino? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was locked in the, he was locked in the tower with his sons and grandsons and was, uh, well, he was, the tower was boarded up. And Daddy, they all died of hunger, or did he eat them? Daddy, Daddy, why dost thou gaze so, Father? What doth ail thee? <laughs> but Daddy. Daddy, I don't want to be dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who hasn't said that once in their life? Uh, his doodle. Again, Hollander kind of talks about this. He says, well, really, he didn't have two little kids saying, Daddy, Daddy. He had two middle-aged sons and their <laughs> grandkids, so some poetic... Which is dis- way creepier. <laughs> daddy, daddy. Some poetic distortion has been taking place here. But yeah, it's a pretty horrible story about a guy locked into the... Ta- like, you can... He hears the nails of the tower... The nails being hammered into the door of the tower that he's trapped in with his kids. And when those nails go in, he knows that everybody's going to die. And probably mm-hmm. he didn't eat them. They all starved to death instead. But we don't really know... And then, on top of that, he was also a sinner to his party. So, mm-hmm. these people are kind of condemned to the same circle together for sins of like value, but one of them mm-hmm. gets to eat the other's head forever. So, question. Several of the things, because I was curious about whether or not he actually ate his kids. Um, and the ex- the reasoning that I kept seeing for, oh, no, no, he certainly didn't eat his kids is because... They argue Dante then would have put him in one of the less awful circles where there were, you know, people who were Gluttony. engaging in bestiality would have been because that's bestial rather than, you know, treachery. So well, in a sense, but it's all kind of, there's layers of treachery here too, because he's kind of lying to his kids and condemning them to death. And then mm-hmm. he's a betrayer as well. And in, 
watching them starve without helping them is that treachery on its own there's there's a lot of stuff all tangled up together in one whole ball of treachery and pain mhm yeah cuz i mean right right like he he was a victim but also he engaged in like he committed treachery i don't know how blameless or his uh sons and grandsons were in all of this how involved they were but I can't imagine. I guess that that some of the stuff that I read said that the youngest was probably 15 years old. But again, he might have also been engaged in stuff cuz I mean, who knows? But however, you're right. Like 15 is a tender age. <laughs> <laughs> yes it is. Uh so anywho, but I What does I'm, that I, even mean, Victoria? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just I don't know anymore. She says Knowing will full well. <laughs> so, when you do a sin so bad that you're ejected from your body, like mm-hmm. a watermelon seed squirted out of the prime material plane, embedded in ice in the bottommost circle of hell, probably that's got like Satan pee in it. It's so close to Satan. Mm-hmm. And then a demon takes over your body and starts wandering around the earth with it. Is that an improvement people would have to deal with you normally? Because I think it might actually be better. Like, this is a, a blessing for the people on Earth still. Oh, well, it's only a demon. I think so. Like, maybe, you know, the worst case scenario or, yeah, maybe worst case scenario is they don't notice a difference. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> well, now he's just going after with so, pitchforks. He's not, like, betraying us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... We're actually about to embark on the final lap of this lap. <gasps> lap. It didn't mean that to be a joke, and it's not much of one. Um, the final lap the, dance. Yes. <laughs> so we enter Judica. We enter Judica, the circle of traitors to their benefactors. Mm-hmm. And in the center of this is the big guy who has a great many names. But we'll just call him Satan for now. He's quite huge, frozen to his waist in Lake Cocytus, has three heads, endlessly gnawing Judas, Brutus, and Cassius. Uh, Judas gets the special treatment of being gnawed upside down. The others can at least get a nice view of the scenery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the, the big climactic images of, of the Inverto, is this, this monster buried in the ice. So one of the things that, again, having not read this before, I was kind of surprised to find that Satan is also imprisoned. Because, you know, I always thought like, oh, he's he presides over all this, mm. right? But he himself is imprisoned and also suffering in a way. I think this is a medieval tradition. Um, mm-hmm. I, we referred to it as the gimpy Satan a while mm-hmm. back. Because mm-hmm. um, he's crying, yeah. he's weeping. I, yeah. I agree with you. I went into this as like, okay, Satan rules over hell. But we've talked about this a couple, three or four times, in which the harrowing of hell happened. Right. And like broke his back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some stories. Christ did this. The end. Yeah. Or he's chained in the pit forever. Uh, in, in the harrowing, he's chained and Beelzebub is set free to be a problem in the surface world. But this, the, like, the source of all evil is bound and like a secondary source is let free to wander the earth somehow. Mm-hmm. 
And also, he is not the reason why the sinners are there. Like, he has not created sin. He's created the space for them, but he hasn't put them there, nor has he doled out the punishments. No, he's really pretty much a mindless brute here. Mm-hmm. He's got, mm-hmm. got a lot more agency in the video game, for sure, where you can actually like go and attack people. But here he just kind of chews and is like a natural hazard rather than a monster. And I mm-hmm. think the same thing in Tundle, where he's kind of chained down and he just catches the sinners up in his in the fiery breath coming from his mouth and or haunches. Um, yeah, the, the Gippy Satan is is in in a sense tragic because you can think like it's the ultimate corruption of the pure angelic form that he used to be. Not only is he a monster, but he's like a crippled maimed monster that has no agency anymore. Mm-hmm. And he's just essentially like you know a jungle gem. Yeah, <laughs> or some or or like a. I kind of there's a lot of places where he kind of parallels and parodies God, like mm. he's three in one sort of thing, mm-hmm. but grotesque and biological version. The opening words of Genesis were like, "And the wind moved over the waters, and he's endlessly blowing this breeze over things." One of the names for God is the prima mobile, mm-hmm. the the prime mover, and this is kind mm-hmm. of related to the idea of like the the celestial spheres are moving, and one thing moves all of them. And that's God Himself, sort of a deistic mm-hmm. view of things, and in a sense, He's the source of cold and wind and hell itself. He's sort of the Prima immobile here. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, because he's beating his wings to try to get free. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Or just so he's just yeah. because he's got to do something with them. Right. And I mean, he's not really like, it, it seems he's pretty indifferent to everything around him except for the dudes he's chewing, you know? Yeah. And he's just gnawing on them. I mean, you know, I, I eat several pens a week. I don't right, particularly yeah. have a bond. They're kind of them. like a his fidget spinner. Yes. Another an interesting element here is how faceless the sinners are. Like we've been kind of getting less and less well, we had a lot of attention to them in the last story. There was like one of the more pathos driven sinner stories, but here we can't see the sinners. They're buried deep under the water and there's nothing there for us to interact with. Because mm-hmm. their faces mm-hmm. have been chewed off. Well, that may be the case actually, I don't know. Yeah. I guess Judas grows back. For every face you chew, two more will grow in its place. <laughs> Judas, the face hydra monster. So it it didn't really dawn on me the the kind of impact story of how hell formed and how Satan came to be lodged in the ice. Yeah. Until uh. Until I listened to the interview with uh, Dr. Brazo. Is it? Is that how you say his name? Brazo? Brazo? I think I say Brazo. Brazo, which is very interesting. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. It's interesting that he's in a core of ice because there's no knowledge of the layers, the actual, what the earth is made of at this point. Right. Well, I think we just have kind of the idea of these rivers that flow in. And that kind of yeah. fit, that kind of fits, if mm-hmm. not scientific knowledge. And we, I don't think we can assume necessarily that Dante was devoid of scientific knowledge of hell, right. of hell, mm-hmm. of geology. But classically speaking, there were rivers that went down, and rivers that went down, rivers that went down, and hell was kind of formed of them. So the idea that there is the bottommost pit 
And was the cockatus? It's the frozen one. Right. I, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. I was trying to remember if the cockatus was actually frozen or if it's a Dante invention, and I cannot say for sure. Oh. I think it's a Dante. But also, it's uh, the frozen because it's the furthest away from the warmth of God's love. Yeah, but the geology of this place is a Dante creation for the most part, and yeah. mm-hmm. I think that I feel like the f- in proper Hellenistic hell, the furthest away from the surface was the flaming mm-hmm. Asheron that went down to the Tartarus region. Mm-hmm. So, a little different in that mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. But uh, as we gaze upon the tragic, possibly majestic mostly awful horror that is uh, Satan, I would like you very much to consider giving me a noun. <laughs> who, who wants to go Damn first? Damn it. Okay. Let's, okay. Is the next question transitive or intransitive? Don't, 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 because, don't coddle him, Jacob. Oh! He, he needs to learn. There are no verbs for a while. Okay. Swiss army knife. Adjective. Caramelized. Part of body. Tentacle. A creature. Jabberwocky. Body parts. Elbows. Adjective. Fleecy. Aw. Verb transitive. God damn! Lick. Adjective. Warm. Point. Body part. Rib. Noun. Slanket. What? A slanket. It's a blanket with sleeves. Oh. They're super cozy on a winter night. Concept noun. Mm-hmm. Homeopathy. Body parts. Eardrums. Cloaca. A color. Chartreuse. Body part. Cochlea. Verb intransitive. <sighs> <laughs> Hiccup. A color. Embrowned. <laughs> That's an adjective. Oh. Brown. Puce. A proper place name. Moscow. Noun. Shingle. An animal. Richard Nixon. No. A puppy named Richard Nixon. <laughs> Noun. Hurdy gurdy. Place. The banks of the river. Adjective. Embrowned. Um, em- adjective. Embrowned. Uh, you can use embrowned when it's your turn. <laughs> it's, never, I'm gonna say- it's never my turn. Oh, oh, do you want me to do embrowned? No. Yes. Okay. I'm going to say jerky. Noun. Teacup. Animal. A wombat. Ooh. Verb transitive. God. Perestroika. That's not even a verb. Telephone. Number. 72. Noun. Magnet. A proper place name. Magic time machine. The restaurant. Mm. This one's rare. An adverb. Quickly. Verb intransitive. Party. I meant verb transitive. How about bedazzle? A number. Avogadro's number. Is that really a number? Yeah, it's six point something. We had, it's written on your chocolate cupcake. Six point. Right. Can you sum- he licked it off. Can you summarize it? Pie. Body part. Patella. Verb intransitive. Rub. Again, number. I guessed. Point five. Mm. Body part. Nostril. Liquid. Nyquil. Adjective. Slowly. That's an adverb. That's, as, as, uh, that is an adverb. Slow. Liquid. Formaldehyde. Body part. Eyeball. Toe. <laughs> Verb intransitive. God loves small children. What did I say last time that was wrong? Quickly. So, so the answer is obviously quick. That's still wrong. <laughs> Crap. To quicken is a verb. Yeah, it's when you cut off someone's head and lightning comes down and you get their powers. No. Does no one get that joke? Yes, I got the joke. <laughs> I just am not laughing. That happens an awful lot. <laughs> verb intransitive. Uh... <laughs> Slice. Noun. Goozy. Severed toe. A number. 15. The tender age. Verb <laughs> transitive. Blink. That's intransitive. What was the question? Yes. Verb. Oh, it's intransitive? It was. Verb okay. transitive. Jiggle. Ticking. Body part. Web. Adjective. Chalky. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. He hates chalky. I do. Oh, yeah. I have a real problem there. I do too. 
So. Put your seatbelts on. (laughs) We gaze upon the horrible form of Satan frozen in the ice. The emperor of this Swiss army knife caramelized from his tentacle forth issued from the ice. (laughs) And better with a Jabberwock I compare than do the Jabberwock with those elbows of his. (laughs) Consider now how fleecy must be that hole. Which which unto such a part licked itself. (laughs) Were he as warm once as he is now quaint, and lifted up his rib against his slanket, well may proceed from him all homeopathy. (laughs) Oh, what a marvel it appeared to me when I beheld three eardrums on his cloaca. (laughs) The one in front, the one in front and that chartreuse was. Two were the others that were joined with this above the middle part of either cochlea, and they were hiccuped together at the crest. (laughs) And the right-hand one that seemed twixt brown and puce. The left was such to look upon as those who came from Moscow. (laughs) Underneath, Underneath each came forth two mighty shingles. Such as befitting worse so great a puppy named Richard Dixon. <laughs> the hurdy-gurdy of the banks of the river I now never saw so jerky. No teacup had they, but as of a wombat their fashion was, and he was telephoning them so that 72 magnets proceeded forth therefrom. Thereby, the magic time machine restaurant quickly was bedazzled. With 3.14 patellas did he rub, and down 0.5 nostrils trickled the NyQuil in the slow formaldehyde. And every eyeball, he with his toe was slicing a koozie in the manner of a severed toe, so that he fifteen of them blinked thus. <laughs> I don't even. Uh, to hit. I'm sorry, sir. Are you Dante Alighieri? <laughs> to him, in front, the jiggling was as not unto the ticking, for sometimes the web utterly chalky remained. <laughs> no, you, you are Dante, aren't you? I definitely have that hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's going to live in limbo with all the other poets? <laughs> oh, God, no. They just talk about poetry. <laughs> it's horrible. It'll, it'll just, it'll be like the Golden Girls, but all y'all will be in limbo. Oh, no. Say it ain't so, Pinky. <laughs> oh, okay, anyway, that moment. You're you're kind of verklempt. I, I am. I'm a little overwhelmed. Uh huh. Utterly. You're gonna swoon. Utterly gonna swoon? chalky remained. <laughs> I'm so happy about the puppy named Richard. Yay! <laughs> I mean, yay! <laughs> <laughs> and from here, the journey gets kind of easier because we just have to climb over Satan's hairy thighs. Now, mm-hmm. I like the movie version of this because it strongly implies that we actually have to go through Satan's butt to get to paradise, but I don't think the text actually bears that out. Yeah, yeah. It's just very confusing. It's a little bit like going into one of those um, wacky, wacky shacks where water flows uphill. Yeah, you know, well, like, and it does, too. It kind of inverts. Yeah. Yeah. I do mm-hmm. think there's a good reason to have the final moment be climbing over or along Satan's butt. And that is that demeaning kind of gets you away from yourself. It's like it, it's one of those sort of breaking down the ego sort of moments. Mm, like est. Perhaps. <laughs> Y'all are too young to know about est. I, I have the edges of the joke. Okay. Oh, that went way over <laughs> I think my that's head. That's good enough. 
I wonder <laughs> I wonder if this is also a weird corruption of like a birth image. Yes. Oh my god, you're absolutely right. Uh-huh. Which is a little traumatic almost. But we do have to kind of go through the Satan butt zone to get out of hell and into presumably better place, although this is still the center of the earth, and as still for a moment as far from God as you can be, it's just on an upward path instead of a downward path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's the weird inversion moment that we're all having trouble with, where he climbs down the butt, and then he's up the butt, and then Satan's legs are flying up in the air, and <laughs> the water is like below him again, and not above him, which means it's kind of this, like the entire thing is like maybe one of those holograms from like an 80s hologram store where you look into the glass and you see the sinners floating there, because there doesn't seem to be any really depth to the water. <laughs> right, it's just kind of, yeah. it's an illusion almost, an illusion mm-hmm. of, of eternity. But yeah. eternity is real. And he to me, thou still imaginest, thou art beyond the center, where I grab the hair of the fell worm who minds the world. That side thou wast so long I descended, when round I turned me, thou did pass the point to which heavy things draw from every side. So he's at the center of the world's gravity. Yeah, this is gravity. As well. Right here. It is. Yeah. And now beneath the hemisphere art come opposite that which overhangs the vast dry land and we're mm-hmm. still under the world. And neath those who cope with put to death, the man who without sin was born and lived. Which is a very long way of saying we're under the surface of the world. And thou hast thy feet upon this little sphere which makes the other face of the Judica. Um, so basically, Satan's legs are pointing up towards what will end up being New Zealand. And I think soon we learn that Mount Purgatory is actually New Zealand, and therefore there are hobbits in it. Oh. And that's kind of, that's kind of magical. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And from a hellish geology perspective, I think we're starting to see the trickle of the River Leith coming towards us. But we'll quickly, which is, for, we'll quickly forget that. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll pass. Uh, which so both heaven and both purgatory and hell are kind of fed by rivers and streams, but in one of them it's the river that washes your sins away down to hell, and the other it's the tears of the tragedy of man. So very different sort of idea for the same kind of river-based structure. <laughs> and then, in much less time than it took us to get here, which is good because the clock is ticking and this is a twenty-four hour cycle. We emerge on the surface of the world, and that great line, we mounted up, he first, and I the second, till I beheld through the round aperture some of the beauteous things that heaven doth bear. Thence we came forth to re-behold the stars. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. round aperture. I know I talked about this. That's a um, bot. Back, what? That's a bot. Okay. <laughs> it could also be like, you know, maybe ice fishing. One, one kind of tie-in here that I really liked was in... The Mickey's Inferno. Let me see if I have that. I don't have that entry. Uh, in the Mickey's Inferno, which was written right after World War II and the rise of Mussolini and kind of and getting away from fascism, this they kind of go through the Inferno, which is one of Italy's seminal works. And at the end of it, describing the political situation and the time of war, which is a very recent memory, the author says, you know, I looked up and beheld the sky full of stars. It was very sweet in that context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Arthur C. Clarke, 2001. When well, I was thinking more Amazon, uh, Isaac Asimov, My God, It's Full of Stars. Wait, was it Asimov or Clarke? My God, It's Full of Stars is, Amaz- is Asimov. I tell you not to question me, but I'm wrong so often, you probably should. <laughs> okay, so you and I actually had this conversation. There's a Asimov story about a world which has seven suns. Yep, uh, the incentive of the galaxy. Right. And every 
arbitrary unit of years, thousand years, there's an eclipse. And the people who never see stars see stars, right? And it's actually a yep. short story where the suns are alpha, beta, da- delta, gamma, whatever, etc. And then every thousand years, society burns itself to the ground. However, My God, It's Full of Stars is from Arthur C. Clarke, A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Right. Nightfall okay. is the Asimov story. Right. And you, you feel like the line, My God, It's Full of Stars, should be Asimov, and it's not. It's Clark. Well, this is a three-parter. We are out of mm-hmm. hell. But purgatory is not nice necessarily either. It's a play, like one of the initial things Dante has to face is that pride is a sin, and it'll take some time to get through that. But it's not a prison that admits no escape. It's a place of cleansing. So a prison that redeems, that's just... That's not a prison. That's rehab. Same. Yes. Or purgatory. Mm-hmm. Actually, the idea of a redemptive purgatory is a Dante original as well. Purgatory was a place you could escape from if you gave the church money, but that it could be a place that cleanses you of sin and redeems you and prepares you for heaven. I believe that's one of Dante's biggest additions to the Christian cosmology. Hmm. And given that purgatory was kind of like a didn't make the Catholic Church look very good, <laughs> it might have been nice to make that a better story. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope that someone will tell me that I'm deeply wrong on that one, but I believe that to be the case. If so, feel free to tweet us at the Dispatchist. His name is Jacob. He's wrong, and you know why. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I have to say, I like Dr. Brazo's idea of doing the vertical reading, where you read all three of them together. Like, you read them, you know, like all three Canto Sixes together, and sort of like when you, you know, watch Buffy and Angel together. Or and, like the Dark Side you know. of the Moon and the Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. Exactly. I kind of like that idea. Well, there's three of us, and there's three books. Pass. <laughs> well, you get to choose which one. Like, we could each read, yeah. Like, let's let's schedule this for November 2072. For mm-hmm. now, though, does anyone want to go outside with me? Yeah. Yeah, let's go take a look at the stars. Yay. This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. <laughs>